The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Side Quests. My name is Jacob, and I'm Peter. So, Peter, uh, we've been we've been thinking about ways of of making the po- this podcast more popular. And do you know what is really hot right now? Uh, no, or remake sea shanties. Sea shanties. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> there's just there's just one major problem there. Yeah, none of us can sing. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I I think you've heard my attempts at trying to sing, right? Yeah, you have. Uh, and there's there's so, actually video recordings of me singing. So I. Uh, if you if you manage to find them, kudos to you. But I'm not going to help you. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, we we can't um, we can't do sea shanties. Uh, sorry, guys. Anyway, um, so question: Have you read fifth edition Vampire the Masquerade? Uh, no, I I haven't. I think I read some excerpts from it, but I I haven't like actually gone through the book. No, no. Um, I bought uh, the book. I think. If I recall correctly, uh, you had this um, uh, bundle offer with the book and the Camarilla and the Anarch books, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, and obviously, when I when I saw Ooh, fifth edition, I bought it. And then all this controversy happened with uh, with um, the the Chech, uh, the way they they portrayed. I think it was the Chechnya, yeah, Chechnya uh, situation. Yeah. All that, which kind of put me off it, and I paged through it. Uh, and I've been keeping sort of an eye on what's happening with fifth edition. And I must say, what I've read when I read through the books, what I've learned from keeping an eye on what's happening. Um, I, I I don't really like it. I'm not saying that it's a bad game, and obviously there's a lot of people who are getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, you can tell by that, but it's from from what I've been able to tell, from what I've read, from what I've seen, everything. It's not really for me. I'm there's I'm going to be stinking... for improvement. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, they there's some some things that I've heard that I that I really like, but most of the things I've heard are changes that I don't really uh, agree with that makes the game not for me, mm. where I'm sticking with 20th anniversary uh, edition. So once again, not saying it's a, a bad game. I know people who've, uh, who've worked on the game, but it's not for me. However, um, that leads into, they're obviously going to be making more stuff. There's talk about, uh, real talk about a, a fifth edition werewolf book. So it looks like they're making new editions and... Uh, as I've mentioned before, Dark Ages Vampire, my absolute favorite game. Um, and certainly the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Dark Ages, that was a great book. Um, but I would love to see more books for Dark Ages, and it doesn't seem to be forthcoming for what we might term Dark Ages 3rd edition, i.e. the 20th anniversary edition. Um, so if at some point they make a Dark Ages for the 5th edition, I've... Uh, put together five ideas for what I would like to see done with this new edition of of Dark Ages. A sort of how would I do it? Um, oh, so I'm cool, yeah. I'm going to go through those, and then you can tell me what you think and give some of your own uh, input on it. First, an honorable mention. I would really love to see new editions of Dark Ages: Werewolf, Mage, and Changeling, uh, which they call Dark Ages Fey. However, I really do not like Dark Ages Inquisitor, and I'll get into why once we reach that on the uh, on the main uh, podcast. Um, so I'm not going to go into that there. And with that in mind, you know, I would also prefer uh, new, the new uh, prefer the name Dark Ages Vampire rather than Vampire the Dark Ages, because then you can have Dark Ages Vampire, Dark Ages Werewolf, yeah, and so yeah. on. 
Uh, which is why I, I tend to refer to the game as Dark Ages rather than Vampire the Dark Ages. And yeah. yes, we are both well aware that the game is not set in the Dark Ages and that the term Dark Ages isn't really being used in archaeology and history anymore and so on and so forth. And that it, uh, it's a know. misnomer to begin with. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do a side quest on uh, on on the terminology Dark Ages and the name Dark Ages for Vampire. But um, <laughs> if, if people think we should do that, leave a, a comment on the Facebook page. Yeah, please so, Anyway, on to my five ideas for a new edition of Dark Ages Vampire in this case. So, number five, a well-researched section on weapons and armor, and with that, a slightly more complex and crunchy, if you will, combat system. And Hmm. yes, I know I talk a lot about weapons and armor. However, it is not just because this is something that I personally find interesting and know a lot about. I mean, not just... (laughs) <laughs> uh, really, I want the entire game to be well-researched, but in general, when it comes to historic research, the Dark Ages book- books have been quite good, except when you look at the weapons and armor section. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, they when it comes to real-world history and geography, culture, everything, you look at it, yeah, it's, at least from what I can tell, very well-researched. But many times they do seem to half-ass the uh, the weapons and armor section. Mm. And weapons and armor and combat, they fit the setting. This is a time period where people wore weapons and armor far more frequently than they do in our day and age. Yes, even in America where everybody's carrying a firearm. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I think that's an interesting thing. I'm. I'm just thinking in general. At what time period do do you want this new? Uh, oh, I'm. I'm. Ge- I'm going to get to that. Okay, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, because th- that kind of influences the choices you have when it comes to weapon, and and I think that's that's usually the main problem with when it comes to weapon and armor, because for for quite a long time. You, you were fairly limited when it came to options on, on weapons. You basically, for, for weapons, it was the sword and the spear and the axe and the mace, uh, and you had shields and chain mail and helmets. That was basically yeah. it for, for quite some time. Uh, and both visually and, uh, and and for other reasons, that, that is kind of limiting. And, and it I, I, I can understand why it's cooler to have like this later century this 14th or even 15th century full plate armors going around because in some oh, ways they can be cooler than just a chainmail chart uh, yeah. so and and again you, you want this really cool crossbows that that you had uh, previously or earlier as well but they weren't as powerful and they weren't as complicated as as some were so so i think that or you, you would need to to have um some kind of of caveat on that like okay this is uh, or if you do a really big chapter on it or, or even a complete book, you can have like, okay, these weapons are appropriate for this time period and, and these armors are appropriate for this time period and, and so on and so on. Because that's that, that's what, what I see in both the artwork and this goes for movies um, and TV series and stuff like that in general as well. It's, it's, it's a lot cooler to have your hero standing and posing with a great two-handed sword even though historically they wouldn't be around for a couple of hundred more years, uh, so so you have that kind of like realism yeah, versus versus that, narrative conflict. Yeah, but that is also where research can can really help you yeah. because if just if you look at swords. Um, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to move the timeline up mm. a bit. That is one of the things that I said. <laughs> uh, I'll get to it. But you can have 
um, well, short swords weren't really around, but you might still, because it's a, a vampire, you might have vampires who have kept their gladius from Roman times. Mm, yeah. Then you have the arming sword, you have the um, falchion, you have the great sword of war. You might even start to sneak in uh, the messer and perhaps the bauernwehr. Uh, you have uh, the transition uh, of, of daggers, so you have quite a few styles of daggers. Uh, you have the... Um, the Quillon dagger, you have the Bollock dagger, and you have the first emergences of the Rondell dagger. So, and and with armor, yes, you have mail, you have the coat of plates coming uh, in, you have the development of the um, of the greaves and the gauntlets and yeah. and various different types of helmets. So, so I think you're you're absolutely right in if people you know people role players like weapons and armor. Mm. Let's generalize there. And, you know, that's also one of the, the, the selling points of this setting is yeah. that, that a lot of people like the idea of uh, weapons and armor and all that sort of thing. And, and that sells. Uh, so, and in, in the end, you know, you can have all the artistic aspirations you want, but you also want the books to sell. And I think that, that you know, also... <sighs> In the end, it doesn't need to take up that much space, not much more than it already did in the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary Edition uh, book. You just put someone on it who either has the knowledge or is willing to put in the time and energy to do the same kind of research as is being done with the other parts of the game. Yeah, I, I volunteer uh, as tribute to that, by the way. <laughs> don't same, worry about same it. Here, same I, here. I can bring my collection for... for photographical references if you want to but but yeah oh, and mine, a... mine as well i I've, I've got quite a collection as well yeah i think you you can do you can do um the clothing i can do the armor and weapons and then we can both provide uh photographs of various armor and weapons yeah yeah that that sounds like a plan but but yeah but, and and i agree and and you mentioned daggers which i really like because they're kind of the the everyday sidearm, the, the everyday carry piece of, of yeah. the medieval times, so to speak. And you have a huge variety. And and some of those daggers were quite long. So so they they not, might not be short swords in in but the kind of D&D fashion sense, but but uh, stat wise, they there there is room for for a difference between just a dagger and a a, a really big dagger, so to speak. Yeah, and speaking of rules, well, there will at least have to be rules for shields, but because they aren't in, in fifth edition vampire. Mm. But I do believe that with the greater proliferation of weapons and armor, and the greater ch chance for um for combat in say vampires could potentially have their own midnight tournaments inspired by mortal tournaments. Um, you could have uh, judicial duels, and you could have vampires who would gain prestige, uh, by showing off their own martial abilities or that of their ghouls you know you you want a bit more rules for combat and once again i know that vampire isn't a game that is focused on combat but i think it would do a disservice to the setting of the dark ages if you don't acknowledge the presence and use of weapons and and the possibility of combat i don't we don't need rules for vampires running around battlefields because that's not really going to happen but just you know a bit more a bit more rules uh, than than you would normally uh, you normally uh, have, uh, and then you can you can have a a supplement book on weapons and armor and and combat if you want, or or a supplement book that has a dedicated chapter on that if you want to expand it more. Um, so that's that's my my first point is uh, a a well researched. Um, but not overly large section on weapons, armor, and combat. 
So, can, uh, can I just ask uh, as a yeah. final comment, uh, or, yeah. or, or rather, are, are you going to bring up clothes later on in, in this list? Uh, because not, otherwise I have a comment. Specifically. Yeah. Not specifically, so go ahead with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we're speaking about especially armor, there's, there's an interesting link between uh, armor and clothing, because when you wear armor, you need to have clothes that, that you can actually wear with the armor. So, mm. so for example, uh, when you started to have more, more form-fitting armors, you, you couldn't have like long flowing robes underneath it because that would mess things up and, and you would get, get entangled and stuff like that. Uh, and you can also see that that fashion, uh, as it kind of still is, that people run around with with uh, uh, camouflage clothes as, as as a fashion statement. But yeah, the tactical look is popular. Yeah, days. exactly. And and fashion were sometimes uh, made to imitate the look of armor and and vice versa as well. That you have you have armor that's supposed to f- follow the 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 fashion of the period. So it. I would love, love to see some, at least a mentioning of this that that mm. included some, and and if nothing else, you could have some pictorial pictorial references where you can see like, okay, this this armor is supposed to look like this kind of of uh, jacket, for example, or, or doublet. Uh, so yeah, that, that's just a, a final uh, comment on that one. Yeah, but let's I move mean, on. But my, my dream scenario would, would basically be to uh, consult with Toby Capwell while Oof, uh, yeah, writing that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's probably not going to happen. I don't think happen. we can anyway. afford him. We can invite <laughs> him to the show. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Invite Toby Capwell to a side quest. That would... Oh, my God. Anyway, um, number four. Clan factions leading to inter-clan tensions. Uh, maybe it's just me. But there seems to be a tendency to present clans as being very tight-knit, unless it is specifically clans that are known for inter-clan strife, such as Clan Simish and the battles over territory. Um, now, in this period, uh, the, the Dark Ages periods, where many of the clans begin to form the modern identity, or at least lay the groundwork for it, um, I think that uh, it would be interesting to present each clan with an inherent split, schism, or rivalry between two or more factions. This will not only help show that they uh, how they are progressing towards their modern incarnation but it will also offer a whole host of story ideas you could have domains where only one faction of a clan is present but they have a rivalry with a neighboring domain you could have another domain that might have a grudging cooperations between factions due to a common enemy while yet another could have almost open warfare um so what do i mean by this split in the clan well for example in clan asamite you have the split between the uh, muslims and the hakim loyalists uh, who specifically yeah. uh, denounce uh, Islam. But there could also be a split between traditionalists who seek to return the clan to its roots as Cain's judges and younger members who are more focused on the resources that can be claimed through assassination contracts. In Clan Ventrue, you can have a split between the old guard who focuses on nobility and clan members who have realized the power and influence of the merchants and the guilds. Clan Bruges is divided between those who remember their past glories as philosophers and seek slow change through careful methodology and um, more aggressive members who are willing to take up arms to fight for the change they desire. And I think this will add a new and different dynamic to the setting, something more uh, different than the traditional clan versus clan rivalry like, you know, Bruges versus Ventrue, Nosferatu versus Toriador, etc. Not to say that this still cannot exist, of course, but just, you know, add a bit more to it. Yeah, I I like that, and it's uh, you 
kind of have something similar with with like the La Sombra in in Spain and the Reconquista, uh, and I would love to see more of of things like that, um, and and see it a bit more codified because it's it's mentioned quite a bit. Like you you have this clash between the old and the new in both Ventru and Ambrugia, but it it seldom leads to anything except just side notes and like a, a brief mentioning. So so yeah, it. it would be really cool to expand on that and actually have it turn into to factions where where yeah. people are, uh, are are more concerned about that rather than than uh, clan membership. Yeah, and you could you could even have situations where factions uh, from clans work together rather than working with the rest of the clan. Uh, a perfect example, I think, would be if you take a look at a city like uh, Lübeck which at this point is just really expanding as a free city where you have the um, the merchants becoming powerful. So you would have some Brucha who would think that this is a really cool thing because it is commoners having power rather than nobles. And you could have some Ventru getting in on it because they see some really, really rich nobles emerging. So you would have one faction of Clan Brucha and one faction of Clan Ventru working together and you know being being um antagonistic towards other factions within the clan yeah uh, i was so i was just get... about to ask if if these factions are supposed to be uh, inter-clan as well or um... yeah so you could basically have okay we're working together we may be different clans but we have the same end goal yeah. and we have to defend what we're working for against our own clan who wants to change it. I mean, traditional Ventru want uh, the um, uh, the nobles to have influence in Lübeck rather than the merchants. Mm, yeah, I, I like this. It's it's very much the something that is very much vampire in general, and it, it's the old the enemy of the enemy is my friend. Yeah, so things let's, like that. Let's do that. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so number three: return mortis to being a discipline and reduce blood magic in general. So this is really two parts, but I think they fit under the same umbrella. So with the first part, as for Mortis, after thinking about it, I like Mortis better as a discipline rather than path-based magic. The reason for this is that I think it waters down the Giovanni rather than offering something new and almost completely different with their necromancy. They are simply offering a different variation on necromancy. Uh, if if Mortis is also necromancy, then then, you know, their, their necromancy is just another variation. Now I realize that the paths available to the Cappadocians before the introduction of the Giovanni did not include those that specifically dealt with ghosts, but that just leads to the question of why they didn't have that, especially you know, they got pretty damn close with, with the Lamia bloodline yeah. uh, who were then also given path-based necromancy and, and their path interacted a bit more with um you know, with, with, with ghosts and that. So I would rather see both the Cappadocians and the Lamia going back to having a, a discipline, though you could perhaps add some mortis mysticism, like with the abyss mysticism of obtenebration, giving them access to some rituals. But still, I, I think it would add more to the setting if the Giovanni hit the stage with something completely new, something that made every other clan sit up and take notice, rather than, you know, just... A variation on what the Cappadocians could already do. 
Yeah, they're they're basically just the the necromancers to the Tremere's evocation wizards. If we're going with D and D terms, because yeah, and and, and I agree, and and uh, I don't know if you're going to expand on it, but but like less path based uh, thaumaturgy, basically, because yeah, that's I'm that's one of the things that, that. that we've been talking about previously as uh, as well is that you have all of these paths and and it just turns into D with fangs which is not necessarily something that i think either of us enjoys so no yeah keep, keep it simple uh keep the magic to the mages is is kind of what i'm getting from you that that yeah is is that also a thing that you're after like to well, make the, make a difference the, the, between mortals with their magic and vampires with what they have uh, not necessarily because I, you know, I, I prefer not to mix too much. But but yeah, mm. that is that's an interesting point that you make there. That that I, I yeah, keeping keeping magic with the the mages as much as possible. Uh, because the second part of of this idea is a general reduction of blood sorcery. I don't really mind the Asamites and the Setites having blood sorcery, though I do think it has a bit of Orientalism to it, yeah. uh, the mysteries of the strange people beyond the borders of civilized Europe, that sort of thing, mm. because should Clan Gangle then have access to various blood sorcery paths based on Viking runes and Scyther and Celtic and Slavic beliefs and so on yeah. interestingly uh, w- w- next week we are doing um, Wolves of the Sea, and I think how they handle the access to magic in that book uh, for vampires uh, I-, I like that, but we'll get to that in that book but yeah, it, I mean I think the proliferation of blood sorcery cheapens the impact of Clan Tremere and it creates some flawed logic. If blood sorcery was already as prevalent as it seems, what made Clan Tremere so special that they could survive? What made them so valuable to those vampires, mainly Clan Ventru, who took them in and became their patrons? Yes, I am aware of the inherent power of the Path of Blood and the vast array of rituals the Tremere had access to due to their former status as a House of Mages, but with all the other paths being available to various clans and with them having thousands upon thousands of years to invent rituals, they will have a fair amount themselves. Yeah, um, it's it's usually easier to, to buy off the shelf, so to speak, and get something that is re- already available rather than just dump a bunch of resources into these new things that are the Tremere. So uh, from from a Ventru uh, point of view, so to speak. So so yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And it's, it's a bit weird that... Uh, the Tremere, who are supposed to be special due to their blood magic, really aren't. Yeah, so what I would do is I would take inspiration for how it has been done with Clan Tsimish and Kaldunic Sorcery. Just five paths for Clan Tsimish. It's air, earth, water, uh, fire, and spirit. Um, and everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> Okay. I have I haven't actually uh, I haven't actually seen uh, Avatar. Oh, uh, you, you need to then. It's, I, it's I hear really good. good things about it. So anyway, yeah. yeah, five paths and no way to make more. If you do the same with the Asamites and the Setites, you give them a limited number of paths based around an appropriate theme. It doesn't have to be five paths. It could be less. It could be a bit more. But what you do is you limit them. You say these are the paths they have. They have no more. And you could also say. Um, they also have a limited amount of rituals and it's difficult or impossible for them to make more and then just say, okay, we present some rituals, they have more and they will uh, come later. Uh, But simply limit non-Tremere clans with thaumatogy. 
make the Tremere different and inherently frightening to the other clans by giving them and only them the options to have a theoretically unlimited number of paths and then have only very few rituals that cross over between the various blood sorcery systems but mainly have rituals that only work in one system and and yes i i see a source book in this but basically have the tremere be the masters of magic and those who could do vampiric thematics before that go holy crap yeah these guys are so much better than us yeah i i agree with that and and if you want kind of like variation in in the actual magic you can just reflavor what it does like if if it's something that's supposed to to uh, conjure the spirit of dead people to to i don't know attack your enemies it could just be just as easily be the the spirits of the forests or or whatever yeah. like just just reflavor it and call it something else but rules wise it's still the same path of or ritual of yeah. whatever so yeah I, mm. I agree with that and it's yeah it, it, I would say that in some ways it could almost be more interesting to, to kind of like, okay, I want to do this. So which one, like, for example, of the Caldonic uh, paths, like, is, is this fire or is this earth? I, well, I want to do this uh, and, mm. and see what, where it fits rather than Im- uh, um, inventing a, a whole new path for it. So, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. Oh, uh, and incidentally, I, I want to keep Abyss Mysticism, but that might be because I'm playing an Abyss Mystic at the time. <laughs> um, all right, so number two, a greater focus on roads. One thing that I disliked about uh, Dark Ages 20th was the way they changed roads. I really, really liked the Dark Ages vampire approach, uh, though I think there was perhaps a bit too much focus. What I would want is a kind of middle ground. In Dark Ages Vampire, each domain should ideally have an ashen priest for each road, which seems a bit excessive. Yes, I know not all domain uh, domains would have it, but still, you know, I think it would be really interesting if instead there was an idea of each domain having a single ashen priest or imam or whatever uh, you call it, whose job it was to handle spiritual matters. Not necessarily religions, depending on uh, that character in question, but matters pertaining to the morality vampires use to stave off the beast. Play off the mortal arrangement between church and state. You can have domains where the prince and the ashen priests are rivals for power, domains where the priest is just another servant of the prince, one where the ashen priest is the prince, and and so forth. In a large and an especially spiritual domain, the Ashen Priest could have one or more vampires who hold lesser titles and help with their work. A chronicle could focus on moral and spiritual matters. Characters could vie for position, serving the Ashen Priest, and so on. There could certainly be some fun interaction between domains, uh, a domain's Ashen Priest and a player character who follows a radically different path. I don't want to go back to the idea that was presented in Dark Ages Vampire of the followers of various roads being united in almost the same way as clans having hierarchies and you know a certain amount of influence over followers of, of the road. I think that becomes a bit too complex and muddies the water, but I could certainly see individual domains having vampires work together because they share the same road. And I also like the idea of each major road then being divided into four separate paths. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, as a general idea, I, I like it, and and I, especially the the kind of interclan relationships, because if if nothing else, it opens up for uh, for common grounds when you're negotiating, or or if you run into 
an, an enemy or when you're infiltrating enemy territory and you realize that holy shit we aren't really that different or at least we have something in common uh, I, I I'm wondering a bit about if, if you're going to have too many path or too many roads with too many paths we kind of run into the problem with uh, the the overpopulation of, of the vampire society because you, you kind of need uh, a bare minimum to uh, to get things to work uh, and and I don't know I, what I'm asking is that what what would you do to ensure that you just don't end up with with roads or at least paths with like just one or two followers on it because well, you, you need uh, a few means... you, you you need a few people to start a sect so to speak true but I mean the way that they they do it in 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 Dark Ages Vampires Pie the second edition if you want is hmm. that you have a uh, if I crawl correctly, it's five paths. Humanity, heaven, uh, devil, beast, and kings. And people can, if they want, just follow the base road. And most people follow the base road. But then each of these path, uh, paths, uh, sorry, roads have uh, four paths if, if you feel like you're drawn more to it. So kings have chivalry, uh, where it takes the old road of chivalry and makes it a path under kings. Uh, Vizier, I can't remember the third one, and then the fourth one is path of the merchant. So, so you have this idea that all of the people who follow the different paths are still on the road of kings. Mm-hmm. They're just on a variation of it. And then you have minor roads like blood and typhon and things like that that are outside this general um, this general road system. Uh, so, so you would have you would have uh, a lot of people following, say, the road of humanity, and then some of them walk different paths on that road, and some of them follow the base road. And I really like this setup because it it organized the roads in in a way that that I really liked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I I, I can do <laughs> I, I can deal with that, but but yeah, it's um, uh, I I like having. Uh, especially for newer players, I like having something that is easily graspable and easily understandable. So, so as long as you have the the kind of main roads that you can just stick to, uh, it's I, I think it's going to work fine. And and then you can add a bit of variation with uh, again uh, or, or like like my my Christianity is still Christianity, but it's not the same as yours. You you mm. you eat. Uh, like, like for example, the difference between parts of Europe and, and the US, where you eat, if you eat turkey or if you eat ham for Christmas, just things <laughs> like that. Basically, is is that the kind of things that you're after? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I dig that. Mm. Excellent. So, the last one, number one, and here it comes: advance the timeline and also narrow the focus. So, each iteration of Dark Ages has advanced the timeline from 1197 to 1230 to 1242. So, what I would do is advance the timeline to 1275, which is incidentally the year that um, the the very big and powerful city of Magdeburg joins the emerging Hanseatic League. Dark Ages has, has always been a bit... Well, schizophrenic, for lack of a better term. It mixes ideas from all sorts of time periods. Uh, Returning to my old chestnut of weapons, the weapon tables have weapons from hundreds or more years in the future. Uh, But in other situations, you you, you know, they present uh, it as having great tournaments, chivalry and courtly romance, and the Papal Inquisition, all of which is really as its infancy uh, in the time the game is set. 
Uh, you have the mention of the Hanseatic League, which isn't even uh, really formed yet. It's only starting to get formed at this point. Uh, you also have talks about the Crusades, which have almost run their course. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, the Crusader states fall in, um, in 1291. Uh, the main problem is the more you advance the timeline, the closer you get to the Black Death and the most defining event in vampire history, which is the Anarch Revolt, which if you then set a game there, then that is going to take all the focus. So if you if you want a Dark Ages game that isn't we are dealing with the uh, Black Death and the Anarch Revolt, you have to, you have to set it before that. Um, however, if you want the kind of Middle Ages that tends to be portrayed in the books and a lot of people have in their minds, you need to move the timeline up. Uh, the same goes for domains. Uh, as we've talked about, the general rule of thumb in the Dark Ages is that cities have one vampire per 1,000 inhabitants, and in 1197, this limits the game, a game set north of the Alps to Paris and London, really, unless the only vampires uh, in the city are the player characters. Well, <laughs> I mean, you, could, you could have a vampire in Uppsala sitting in... Yeah. R ruling over the, the newly built cathedral so yeah exactly and 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 in denmark you could have one vampire in the biggest city Ribe, but only if you then counted the transient population of merchants traders sailors and, and so on so 1275 at this point you have a lot of the uh, traditional for want of a better word medieval stuff the tournaments are uh, beginning to become really big uh, pageantry affairs, chivalry and courtly love have been established, even if they aren't as widespread yet. The Crusader states still exist just, and Europe hasn't completely given up on the Crusades. And of course, if you want Crusades, you can have the Crusades uh, in the East, the Baltics, Prussia, that sort of thing. Cities, even those north of the Alps, are growing rapidly, leading to, leading to a rise in guilds. And with Magdeburg joining up, the Hanseatic League truly becomes a force to be reckoned with, even if they're not called the, uh, the Hanseatic League yet. Uh, now, all this talk of the Hanseatic League, League leads me to uh, a central part of this idea, which is to narrow the focus, both in scope of the book and the suggested way the game is run. My suggestion would be to have the core book focus mainly on the Holy Roman Empire, with uh, obviously some notes about the rest of Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa. Uh, and there are several reasons for this. The Holy Roman Empire is the largest um, nation, isn't quite accurate, but close enough in Europe at this time. So even with a narrow focus, you have a lot of different area to play with. You can fit most clans and character ideas into a chronicle set there. Uh, there's a lot of information available for research, both for writers and for players and storytellers. And keeping the focus tight allows for the core book to add more information that could help portray the dark medieval, things like how people dress, local customs, etc. The Holy Roman Empire also had a lot of land not uh, burdened, if you will, with canon. Anything said in the British Isles, for example, will happen under the shadow of Mithras, or you will have to throw away this um, central canon part, which obviously you can do, but still, I mean, if you're writing a book, uh, an official book, you have to sort of stick with canon. Um, but from there, other regions can be fleshed out in one or more source books. The Maghreb is, in my opinion, an excellent candidate for a source book. Um, now, obviously, people can play any style of game they want, but I would once again have the core book take a narrow focus, a domain consisting of a single city. As mentioned, cities of this time are growing rapidly, and there's a lot of interesting story ideas and rapid growth with neonets in a prime opportunity to snatch up new territory, for example. So you can keep it local with a focus on a single court and the politics of that domain. 
Yeah, I let, let's start at the beginning of this because I I like it, especially moving the the time period up because as we mentioned, you have uh, more and and more varied uh, weaponry and armor and and fashion and stuff like that. Uh, I. I don't know. I it's probably because I'm I'm a big fan of the 14th century, but I would probably move it up almost even further so that you have either just the uh, the, the uh, beginning of the or or just just in the end of uh, of the 1200s, like set it in 1299 or, or 1300 or or perhaps like in in 1310 or something, uh, because there are there are a lot of things that happen. At uh, at around that time, you have the the Scottish struggle for independence. You have um, you, you you have a bunch of, of uprisings in uh, in England uh, and also in England. If if you're into that, uh, at least according to one uh, Swedish Swedish scholar, uh, that's around the time when the the actual Robin Hood uh, was was active uh, at at around thirteen ten. And and you have the oh what do you call the the, the huge kind of uh, infighting in in uh, in England where it's basically uh, one uh, it's it's it, the Barons War uh, yeah it might be but but you have this this really influential family who who is basically using one of the English kings as a puppet and then they get uh, Basically, all the other nobles gang up on them and and kick their asses, and and you have a bunch of pirates in in the English Channel and and stuff like that. It's it's good stuff. Um, of of course, you would lose, or rather, what you would lose is um, is the crusader aspect of everything. But as you mentioned, you you could still have that uh, in Eastern Europe and and the Baltics yeah. and stuff. Uh, but but you have uh, again what what I like or would like. Is that because 1275? It's uh, it, it's very far from from 1197, for example. But it's it's I don't know if the difference for me would be enough from from 1240 to to 1275 to warrant it. Uh, and yeah, you do have a lot of like the the beginnings of the Hanseatic League and and stuff like that. Uh, but I I feel like this kind of frontier kind of, of, of feeling that I think you're going for would still be around in the early 1300s mm. uh, but you you would still have things that for at least for me and of course this is just my personal opinion are, are more interested because you, you've had a few advances um, that uh, that that are are really interesting and and it's still not um, you, you still don't haven't really hit the um, the actual, um, the, like you mentioned, the Black Plague and and everything that mm. happens there, but but you could have kind of the what leads up to it in in Canaan politics uh, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the Anarch Revolt, I would I would actually also set uh, a game in in the 14th century, like say 1350, where you have a lot of really cool stuff oh, yeah. already established. Yes. The, the Crusader states are long gone, but you still have Eastern Crusades and stuff like that. Mm. Um, the, the main problem is that that is smack dab in where the Anarch Revolt is kicking off and, and everything, and, and it just comes to focus on that. I, I can definitely see I'm uh, moving it up to 1300, but that gets so close to, um, to the Anarch Revolt that I feel that 
people who want to play a longer game uh, don't won't have enough time to uh, to enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. I can definitely see your points in in moving it uh, in moving it up to the start of the of the 14th century as well. But you know, if we set it in 1275, uh, there's also the possibility of of um, doing some kind of chronicle that takes it up to just you know where the start of the the Anarch Revolt is and getting getting the uh, the start of the 14th century in. So I can definitely see the points that you're making as well. Yeah, uh, and and I'm guessing like if this is supposed to be the the core book, you could always expand on it and have other source books that uh, that go into the. Uh, to the later periods um, I'm, I'm just thinking that uh, if, if you want to do a more uh, n- focused or, or narrowed um, fo- uh, or a game rather or, or book then then I feel that there are uh, some some really interesting things going on in the early 1300s but but I, I completely yeah. agree there's you, you really only have about a century until the uh, until the Anarch Revolt and uh, and and even less that for the uh, the Black Death and and the Hundred Years War, which really influences stuff. So oh yeah, yeah I, I the, guess it the, comes down to to what you really want. Yeah, uh, and I think you know, like as I said, keeping it focused on uh, a specific narrow area in the core book, while giving notes about other areas, and then you can have source books that cover other areas because when you narrow it you can really help uh, the storyteller with how to make the setting come well alive <laughs> though, yeah, though yeah. you're playing dead uh with with things like okay well how were people dressed in the the holy roman empire at this time what customs were there how was religion in the holy roman empire what were, what holy days were there what were the cities like just everything you can because People, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for all people, but I'm thinking that uh, the core book has to be a common frame of reference. So you're, th- you're thinking that people buy this, who, uh, who buy this, probably know at least something about vampire, but they want to play it at a historical point. So you you give them the historical framework, uh, and then you talk something about vampires, but you don't need to go. As it, I mean, you what you need to talk about is how vampires are different in um in the in the dark ages uh, setting rather than in modern times and that leads me up to actually a a question because that's something that i didn't put in here but i i've been thinking about it if they were to make a new dark ages book would you want it to be as it has always been up until now a standalone book or as a source book added to Vampire, the fifth edition, where they say you have to have the core book for fifth edition. Here is the expansion that allows you to play a Dark Ages game. Well, considering that I don't actually have the the, the core five e book, then, <laughs> then yeah, I, I would prefer it to be uh, a standalone. But are, are you referring to it that, to make it its own standalone game completely? So a bit of change in the rules or? Or just well, the, a different setting. There's always been there's always been a slight difference in the rules between Dark Ages and yeah. um But I mean, when when they when they uh, came out with what is now Second Edition Dark Ages, Dark Ages Vampire, they made it a standalone book. All the rules, all the clans, yeah. everything. And then the interesting thing is when they then released Dark Ages Werewolf and Mage and everything, they were supplement books. They didn't have the core rules. They only had the rules needed to play. Um, 
you know, play play werewolf or play mage. Um, so they, what uh, white wolf might do is basically say, okay, we are making a dark ages vampire as a source book to fifth edition. So you need fifth edition for the basic rules and what the uh, clan uh, and and the basic explanation of clans and everything. And then this book explains the dark ages medieval setting and how the clans are different yeah. and things I, like that. Yeah, I, mean, I that, see where you're going. Those are two yeah. ways of doing it. Yeah, well, for me, that would kind of depend on how good the actual, like, the, the base core book is. Like, like if, if 5e is something that I could build off and, and that I, I really want, then, then uh, yeah, then, then I feel that there's really no point in, um, in, in just writing a new book where half of it is basically stuff that you already know, because then you can use that space for for more cool setting specific things uh so it's yeah i'm, I'm gonna can I'm, I'm gonna give you kind of like the lawyer's answer to that and it, it, it depends <laughs> uh but uh. but i i wouldn't mind just like having just being able to buy a dark ages book and and being able to play it straight out of the box without having mm. a bunch of other um core uh, core books to, that I would need to reference to uh, and this is but, but at the same time like if if I need to buy a, a completely new book that is probably going to be quite expensive if I want to change it so that I play werewolves or fey or whatever uh, then then yeah I, it's yeah I, I would say that this comes down to a matter of quality uh, mm. but but for me, Considering that I'm probably not going to play 5e, uh, at least I, I probably wouldn't play uh, Werewolf or anything like that. I, I wouldn't mind uh, having its its own independent book for, for Vampire the Dark Ages, which included everything that I needed. Yeah. Uh, one one thing that um, I, I want to mention, I saw a, a meme on Facebook that um, I think hit very close to home where it said that um buying role-playing uh, game books and running role-playing games are two different hobbies oh yeah yes that is <laughs> that is very true and i was uh, just like ow ow yeah. ow <laughs> but yeah uh it's it's kind of funny you know now that that uh, you're an adult you have a job you have a lot of money you buy all the role-playing books you want and you don't have enough time to play because everybody else are also adults with jobs and uh, other interests, so it's almost impossible to find a, a time to get together. Yeah, yeah, that um, is very Anyway, cool. so um, these were, were my five suggestions on how I would like to see a new edition of Dark Ages play out, and I thought you gave some really really great input and i hope that our listeners will give some input both uh on what they agree on what they disagree on what other suggestions they have you know pop by our facebook um give some suggestions let's get a discussion going yeah uh, we'd, anyway. we'd like to see what what other people think and and if you have any favorite time setting or or just like an event that you could build a source book around like for example the black death or or anything like that that would be really interesting to see if you have any thoughts on that yeah so this is going out um today saturday january the 30th and tomorrow uh on sunday i am being interviewed by a podcast called crossing darkness um so i don't know when uh, the episode with my interview will be up, but I will obviously post that on our Facebook page. 
Um, so that's going to be interesting. Other than that, Peter, do you have anything that you want to say? No, I would uh, just like to, to thank all of our listeners once again. That it's It's been really cool that we were going on. We have more than 100 people in our Facebook group, and it's it's feels kind of weird that that i i'm hoping that at least half of them are actually listening to to us <laughs> rambling about about this game that we like so so yeah thank you for everyone and and please uh well you can't like and subscribe but it's what all of the cool youtubers say so i'm, I'm gonna say that as well but uh take care of each other and be excellent to each other and thank you for joining us on this weird and particular journey yeah um I'm uh, looking forward to hearing what people have to say. So for now, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.